All right, so I hope uh, children, young and old alike, have the, uh, the notes sheet. We'll be uh, referring back to that hopefully a couple times. Um, ben Spalink, um, still kind of new to the area, new to Ridgewood, and um, really enjoying getting to know the church, getting to know Pastor Aaron, and um, getting to know the neighborhood as well. Uh, my oldest son, he's 11, he recently attended Junior Police Academy, and he graduated, and he came home and he told me that he wants to be a hostage negotiator. A pastor, hostage negotiator, it's kind of similar in some ways, so I'm okay with that. Uh, he's, uh, they're off at camp again uh, this week. But uh, we're starting a new series today uh, in Psalms and Proverbs, and uh, each week we'll have a, a standalone message, which is great for um, a lot of people kind of coming and going over the summer. We finished First Timothy, and so uh, Pastor Aaron and myself and Matt next week will be preaching from Proverbs, and I'm going to dive into... Um, Psalms chapter 3 today, and um, I'll just share uh, a quick word before I read the passage for us that, you know, fear is an innate part of everyday life. I mean, we all experience fear. Uh, in, in fact, experiencing fear is healthy to a certain extent, right? There are some things that should frighten you, and if those things didn't frighten you, then either you had damage to your frontal lobe or you are a 17-year-old boy, Right? seem to have an over-exaggerated sense of, of self-confidence. So fear is uh, it's a universal human experience. We all, we all have encounter fear, but uh, what's interesting is that when you look in the Bible over and over, we're told in Scripture not to fear. So this very real, natural thing that we do, the Bible says don't fear. And just to give you a sense of you know, how serious the Bible is about encouraging us not to fear, by way of comparison in Scripture, uh, it says to love your neighbor about 10 times. If you search through the Bible, we're told 10 times to love our neighbor. Uh, we're told about 16 times to love God, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 16 times. But can you guess how many times we are told in one way or another not to fear? 86 times by comparison. This is a big deal. The scripture is trying to say to us, God's trying to say to us through his word, don't be afraid. Be courageous. Why is uh, God so intent to want to communicate to us this message to overcome our fears? Well, I can think of a couple different um, obvious things. But, you know, number one is that there are certain things in life that they're not that scary. But the, sca the, the fear becomes very large and real for us. And it can uh, serve to take over. Uh, it can cause us to step away and draw back in fear. It kind of... Fear can immobilize us from doing things that you ought to be able to have the courage to do. And you, we want to be able to do these things, but the fear causes us to shirk back. And, you know, a common example of this is public speaking. A lot of people, a lot of Americans find, you know, getting up on stage and doing what Christy did or doing what I'm doing to be something that's almost as scary as dying. And, uh, you know, public speaking is, is a frightening experience, but the thing is, what's the worst that could happen? You know, is it really something we need to be that terrified of? You know, maybe God's given you uh, a word that he wants you to be able to, to get up and share this and to, to talk with people and to share your story, but your fear causes you to, to shirk back. Or maybe you have a gift for writing. But you're too afraid, oh, I don't know if I want to write a blog or write an article. And so there, there's these important things that you could do or say that God's calling you to do. But your, your over-exaggerated fear, which has just kind of blown out of proportion, stops you 
from doing that. That's one reason. But another reason that God wants to encourage us to overcome our fears is because, in fact, there are fearful things, but God wants us to do them anyway. There are things that are legitimately dangerous, and they could have negative repercussions, but, but there are important things that need to get done anyway. And we have to have the courage to be able to step into uh, those situations and to do what God calls us to do. Uh, if you've ever read Joshua, you know that the first chapter, I think maybe around 10 times, uh, the leaders and God say to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, only don't be afraid, have courage. Joshua was being called to be the successor to Moses. They've come to the very, uh, the, the very entrance to the promised land, and Joshua is told by God that, that God's going to go with him and God's going to help him to overcome. But he's got a lot of battles that he's going to have to fight as he, ent- helps the promise pe- uh, the, as he helps the people of God enter the promised land. Battles are real. Battles are dangerous. It's understandable that as a warrior you would feel some fear uh, going into battle with, with, uh, with God's people. But God says you're, you're going to have to do it anyway. And so you have to be able to, to, to be of good courage. How many of us are stuck in fear? How many of us are immobilized by certain things, that, that certain fears that have just taken over and we are not able to do the things that God has called us to do. We're not able to pursue the dreams that we have because of the fears that we carry with us. How many of us wake up in the middle of the night and your fear is just taking over and you can't get back to sleep because you're worried and you're anxious about what the next day will bring? How many of us maybe are stuck in a toxic relationship and you know you have to get out you gotta, you got to get out of that relationship. you got to go find a new one. you got to get some space. But you're too afraid to leave. And so you're stuck in that situation. How many of us have loved ones that we've fallen out with? Relationships that have gone, that, that have deteriorated. And we sense that God drawing us back to that person to apologize, to make right, to try to build a bridge. And yet we're afraid. We're afraid of failing We're afraid of how they might respond to us. We're afraid of, perhaps we're afraid of getting hurt again. How many of us, God has put somebody in your life that you believe and you sense that God put this person in your life because he wants you to share the gospel with that person. And yet time after time, you pass up the opportunity to do that because of fear. Because you're afraid, well, how are they going to respond? Perhaps they'll reject me and they'll, they'll think I'm a crazy religious person. Or something like that. We're afraid of the opinion of others. And so fear ends up being this debilitating thing in our life that holds us back from from doing the things God has called us to do and to stepping courageously into our dreams. And as I begin to talk about talk about fear and actually give us some hope that Psalm 3 is a is a way that teaches us and encourages us how to overcome fear by praying our fears. That's what today is about. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that we can do away with all fear. I'm not saying that we can somehow eliminate fear from our lives because fear is a reality. Fear is a part of being human. We all face fear. But the question is, what are you going to do with your fear? And are you going to let fear be this thing that holds you back 
Or are you going to, through prayer and through faith and keeping your eyes on God, getting your eyes off of your fear and turning your eyes towards God, you're going to have the courage to do the things that he's calling you to do. Brene Brown, a famous psychologist, has famously said that there is no courage without fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is having fear, but then doing that fearful thing anyway. Franklin D. Roosevelt, also very famous in his inaugural address in 1930, at the height of the um, Great Depression, where all Americans were afraid of just total economic collapse. And he ascends to the presidency. He's famous for having said that the greatest fear that we have or we don't have anything to fear except fear itself. He said that, but the quote I want to share with you today is, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something is more important than fear. Somehow getting from where we are now to facing our fears and getting to the place of obedience, pursuing God's will for your life is not about getting rid of fear, but it is about realizing that there's something more important than your fear, and there's a power that is greater than your fear. Overcoming our fears is getting our eyes off of our fears and turning our eyes towards God, getting a bigger God, a more glorious and powerful God. That is the key to overcoming, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let me read for us uh, Psalm chapter 3, and then I'll share with you the three ways that through prayer we overcome our fear. Number one, in prayer, we face our fears with God. So not when we face our fears, but we bring God into that. We don't do it alone. We face our fears and understand them with God's help. Two, in prayer, we get our eyes off our fears and get our eyes onto Jesus. And three, in prayer, we rally God to our cause. Psalm 3. And by the way, uh, for those of you maybe who are new to studying scripture, you'll see at the beginning of every psalm is a, is a little superscript, and it's in ita- italicized letters. That's part of the original canonical text. So I always read that. I include that. That's part of the scripture. Uh, it's not just a heading that was added there later by, um, by other editors. It's part of the Bible. So we, we read the superscript um, as part of that, even though verse 1 doesn't come till the next line, if you notice that. A psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So three things. We, we bring our fears to God in prayer. We get our eyes off our fears and onto Jesus, and three, we rally God to our cause. We're going to see how David prays through his prayer. So verse number one, uh, oh, Psalm of da- a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. What's the context here? Just if we go back uh, to, to 2 Samuel, we'll see that there was a time where David's son Absalom had 
formed a coup against David. Uh, Absalom was resentful of his father uh, for what his father had done earlier in the book. And so while David was busy with administrative matters, his son Absalom had gone to the gate of the city. And every time that people would come, he would befriend them. And he would say, the king is too busy for you, but let me take care of you. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the people. And it was Absalom's desire to usurp the throne and to take over. And so at a certain point in time, when he sensed it was right, he gathered the officials and they, they proclaimed him king. And so David has heard, David, your son Absalom is taking over the throne. And, and David realized right away that this, this meant certain death. So Absalom, right, at the writing of this psalm, uh, he, or sorry, David, he is having to flee for his life. And he's leaving Jerusalem in shame and in humiliation. But he's running for his life because his son Absalom is, gonna, is coming after him to try to kill him. The first thing that I want to point out to you are the two words that start off in verse 1. O Lord. Oh, Lord. So the first thing that we learn here when it comes to overcoming your fear, what is oh, Lord? It's talking with God. And this is the most simple definition of understanding what prayer is. Prayer is addressing God. Prayer is talking to God. It is in relationship with God that God's going to give us the power we need to be able to overcome and press through our fear. Oh Lord. And I wonder how deeply, deeply saddened God is at the fact that prayer is oftentimes the last resort instead of the first thing that we do. You know, how many of you can relate to finding yourself in a situation where where things are just getting worse and worse and worse and your life has to be practically at the point of completely falling apart before you realize, oh, my goodness, why aren't I praying about this? Right. And I think that deeply saddens God because God is right there for you. He's waiting for for you. He wants to help you. But we're too busy trying to sort things on our own instead of turning to God in prayer. So if anything, right at the start, this is a reminder. How do you deal with prayer? You take it to God. Amen? You, you, you turn your eye toward God. You address God. That's the very first thing uh, that David does. And, and then he begins to pour out to God his fear. Uh, his, his son Absalom is coming after. He's got many enemies are surrounding him. And one of the, the, the interesting things about prayer is that in prayer, there's no emotion that we can't take before God. Now, this is part of why Psalms is such an incredible book is because you see in Psalms all different kinds of emotions. Sometimes I think in the Western church, we think that when we come to church, we have to be happy all the time. We have to be celebratory. We have to be glad. But the Psalms are, what you'll notice as we preach through this, and by the way, we're covering a different Psalm every week, and we're trying not to preach on ones that we've covered in the last couple of years. So, uh, but you'll see in Psalms that, that, that everyone has a different emotion, that it's okay to take your fear to God. It's okay to take your sadness to God. Whatever emotion you're experiencing, there is a psalm that, that gives expression to that and teaches you how to express that emotion in a way that comes to God. And it's so powerful to be able to do that because sometimes the mere, and this is uh, on, your, on your sheet here, sometimes the simple act of naming our emotions can take the sting away. I have Amy Morin uh, to thank for that insight, a child psychologist. That She said, listen, are you feeling sad? Say it. Say it out loud. Tell somebody. Tell God, I feel sad. Even expressing it, articulating it, it's stuck in here. Get it out. That is a way of just a little bit of reducing the sadness. You feel anxious. Talk to your spouse. Honey, I'm feeling really anxious. Can I, can I share with you why I'm feeling anxious? 
Actually, Mary, you had a, I just saw Mary, and I realized she just wrote a blog article about this very topic a couple weeks ago. So go back and read the blog. Sometimes naming the emotion can take the sting out of it. And so that's what Dave, David does. He, he, he's, he's addressing his fear, but he's doing it with God. He's doing it to God. He's doing it in relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. David, as he's praying his prayer, he goes deeper. And he, and he wants to understand, and he wants God to understand that what you could call the fear beneath the fear. And so this is where he goes in verse 2. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And we can see in the psalm that there's different layers to fear. And the power in the psalm and the power of God is released, not when we just bring our superficial fears to God, but when we go deep and we understand what is it. Yeah, we're afraid of these things. And David said, yeah, I have a son who's trying to kill me. That's scary. But this is an honor and shame culture that David is in. And I would suggest to you that, you know what, David's a hardened warrior. He's not afraid of his son coming after him. He's a beast, as my kids would say. He's afraid of the shame and the humiliation. He's afraid what pe he's the king. He's afraid what people are talking about him. Part of the fear is the fear for his life. The deeper part of the fear is the disgrace he carries as he runs for his life. And perhaps the greatest fear of all that he carries is that after what he did with Bathsheba and after how, how hard he's tried as a king to love God and to to be the leader that the people needed. You know, the David and Goliath story, I mean, this is a man who has done everything he could to, to please God and to show trust in God. He is afraid that after all is said and done, God's going to wash his hands and be like, I'm done with this guy. Get him out of my presence. David is, a, is afraid of God rejecting him and of him walking away in total humiliation and disgrace. It would be worse than death for David. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the famous British pastor, he writes, It is the most bitter of all afflictions, afflictions to be led to the fear that there is no help for us in God. Friends, this is the deeper fear. When we keep things superficial and we don't really get deep with God and get real and tell him what's really concerning us deep down, when we're not willing to share that with him, I think our prayers are going to be limited in the impact that they can have. Because God wants to go deep with you. He wants to know what is it you're really afraid of. What is the fear beneath the fear? Um, I came from a small church in New York City. I was pastoring a congregation, 30, 40 people, very small. So, so different from here. And uh, there were a lot of times where you know, I had a fear. Are people going to show up on Sunday? Are we going to have any people here? Because it's going to be very difficult to even have a church if, you know, if the people don't show up. So there's a fear there, right? But what is the fear beneath the fear? So if Ben can get a little vulnerable with you all today, that, you know, what is the fear beneath the fear? Well, maybe it's not just about whether people show up, but maybe there's a deeper fear about my effectiveness as a pastor and evangelist in New York City. Maybe there's deeper insecurities as I'm comparing myself to other people, Tim Keller, right? These super successful pastors, and look at me, I'm just struggling along with this little church. What does it say about me? And maybe I had a fear that the ministry would fail and that we would have to shut down. And, you know, this is like where I go in my dark, in my dark, my dark thoughts that kind of take over. But what is the fear? Okay, so say the church did shut down. Then what? What does that mean for you then, Ben? Well, if the church shuts down, then does that mean I'm a failure? And does that mean that I'm no good? And does that mean that, that God has rejected me? 
You see, if you're willing to go there and you're willing to ask yourself, okay, I have these fears, but what's the fear beneath the fear? You might be surprised at what you find there. And I, th- I think that a lot of times we miss the power of prayer in our lives because we're keeping it too superficial. We're praying for things. We're praying for things like our job, our kids, our stuff, our reputation. But if we're willing to look beneath the surface, I wonder if there are deeper fears that you and I carry that get to the heart of things. And these are fears that have to do with our belonging and whether or not people accept us and whether or not, I mean, we all worry about our kids. How are they going to turn out? But what's the fear beneath that? Well, maybe we're afraid that if our kids don't turn out the way we like, that somehow that reflects on us and we're, we're a failure of a parent because of the struggles that our kids are having. Maybe we're afraid of being alone, and maybe it's not just about being alone, but maybe there's a deeper fear that people don't really love us. Maybe that we're afraid God doesn't love us, that his heart towards us is not to bless us and to provide for us. This is getting to the heart. This is the fear beneath the fears. This is where God wants to do his work in your life. If you're willing to go there, if you're willing to, to pray that to God. But we don't stop there, okay? So, so that is praying your fears, naming them out loud, bringing it to God, but we don't stop there. Next, we have to allow God to remind us of the truth of the gospel. We have to, I'm going to say this over and over, we have to get our eyes off of our prayers and be captivated by a vision of God, who God is, his love his incredible power. The bigger your God is, the smaller your fears will seem in comparison. If you want God to help you overcome your fear, you don't just bring your deep fear to God, but you allow God to remind you, like we sang this morning, about what is fundamentally true about you, about who God says you are. Not what that voice in the back of your head says about who you are, but who does God say you are? What is your real identity in light of the gospel? And as I was studying for this psalm, this sermon, one of the things that I I noticed uh, John Calvin pointed out is that there's something very glaring that is actually missing in this psalm. There's something that you don't see. So think about the context. Remember, I I mentioned Bathsheba. The whole reason this Absalom situation is happening is because years before, David committed a terrible, terrible sin. He saw a woman bathing, and he lusted after her, and he committed adultery with her. And not only that, she got pregnant, and he tried to cover it up. And then he went and had her husband murdered in battle. Very bad. So, so Nathan came and, and he, the prophet Nathan came and confronted him and said, David, because you have done this and you've rejected God, the sword will never leave your home and one of your own offspring is going to rebel against you. Which means that when Absalom commits his rebellion against his father with this coup, this is a punishment for David. This is, this is the, the punishment that, that God is putting on David as a direct result of David's sin. Now, when you realize that and you look back at the psalm, what are you surprised to notice is missing in Psalm 3? What don't we see in Psalm 3? We don't see an apology. There's no apology. There's no repentance. There's no David saying, God, God, I'm so sorry for what I did. I know it was wrong. I know I'm, ter- I'm terrible. Will you please, please forgive me? Please, please make this not happen to me. There's none of that. 
And Calvin points out, why does David not need to repent in Psalm 3? And the answer is, because he already repented. He already repented. You can read chapter uh, 51. Psalm uh, 51 is the psalm of repentance. David already repented. No amount of groveling and apologizing is going to change the situation. But David knows that that is not what God is like. God is not a God who's there trying to punish you and mess up your life and, and, and make you feel regret over and over for the things you have done. That's not what God's like. God is a God of love. God is a, a God of forgiveness. Uh, God is a God of mercy. And so what David can be reminded of in, in this is a tip that we're not going to downplay this. This is a rough time. This is, this is no good. But David, in this moment, he gets his eyes off of his immediate situation. He lifts up his head. He turns to God, and his strength and his courage begin to rebound because he knows that God loves him, that God has forgiven him, and that even in the midst of this terrible situation, God is going to walk with him through to the end and take care of him. And so what this psalm does between verses 1 and 2 and then 3 and following, it shows us that the way that we get from fear and get to courage, get move past our fears, is by lifting up our eyes and reminding ourselves of the goodness of God, reminding ourselves of the gospel of grace, the fact that through faith in Christ, we have God's love, we have his forgiveness, we have a, a, a rock-solid guarantee that God has gone the distance for us, that he loves us, that he's going to take care of us, and that we don't need to be afraid, even in the situation that we're facing. Verses 3 through 5. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. David is fearful for his life. He is fearful of disgrace. What will the people think? He's fearful of being abandoned by God. But in prayer, friends, he turns his eyes off of his fear and turns his eyes towards God. And he remembers the greatness of God. He remembers the mercy and the love of God. And as his vision shifts from fear to God, his fear dissipates and his courage grows. His fear of being disgraced and abandoned by God is, dis is replaced, displaced by his vision of God, the God who protects him like a shield, who gives him glory, and who lifts up his head. When we pray our fears, we have to make that move. You can't just wallow in fear. God, I'm so afraid of this. I'm so afraid of that. Oh my goodness, you know, things are so awful. There is a place for that. That's part of prayer. You name it. Bring it to God, but then you got to lift up your heads and you got to remind yourself of God's love. You got to remind yourself of the gospel. You got to let God remind you of what is true about you. What God says is true about you. And friends, what is true of you? What is fundamentally and most ultimately true about you? And to understand that, we have to go to Jerusalem. David said that he believed that God reminded him of his love and faithfulness from his holy hill as a reference to the temple in Jerusalem. But we also know about another holy hill. And that was the hill called Golgotha. And it was the, the, the hill where God met our need by dying on a cross in our place. 
Jesus, the innocent one, suffered and was crucified so that our sins could be taken away and so that our relationship with God could be restored so that we could be assured of eternal life and assured uh, of a place in heaven in God's family for all of eternity. Jesus, too, faced incredible, incredible fear. And I think that the night before Jesus died, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, was probably the most fearful moment of Jesus' life that he ever experienced. And we're going we're gonna to read just a portion of it. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. This was the most fearful moment of Jesus' entire life. His sweat was not the sweat of exertion. He was not sweating from hiking. Can you imagine that you are, you're praying, you're in prayer, and you're sitting down or kneeling before God, and your anxiety and your fear is so great that that sweat is just dripping off of you like blood. That was the, the, the intense fear that Jesus experienced. Why? Because he knew that that night he was going to get betrayed, he was going to get tortured, he was going to get falsely accused, and he was going to have to die the next day on a, on a horrible cross of crucifixion by the Roman authorities. And so he faced fear. But what did FDR say? That courage is about realizing that there's something more important than your fear. And Jesus knew that there was something more important than his fear. And that was to do God's will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Why did Jesus go through with it? Why did he face his fears and go through with the next day? He could have asked the angels to rescue him, but he didn't. And the reason was because he knew it was God's will for him to suffer in order to take our death and our punishment and the, and the wrath of God that was due to the sins of the world. He took it on his own shoulders so that you and I could be set free from sin and from death. Jesus overcame his fear for you and for me. He went to hell and experienced hell on our behalf. And so what is, at the end of the day, most fundamentally true about you? As you're praying your fears, what do we need to remind us of? What do we need to remind ourselves of? Who God is, his greatness, his power, his love, and his compassion that is so great for you that he would die on a cross for you. He would face his fear for you, for love for you, to bring you to himself. And if that is what's true about you, that through faith in Christ you can experience God's grace and have your sins washed clean, if that is what's most true about you, then I can't imagine for a second that God wants you to be stuck in fear about anything less than that. You know what I mean? If God was willing to go to hell on your behalf to free you from sin and from death, what do we really need to be afraid of? Is there really anything... Is God too small to handle the stuff in our life? Right? Is there anything that, that God is not powerful enough and good enough to take even the worst situation and make it to your benefit in your life? Is there any fear that he has that he wants to keep you from living the life that he has for you? I, I can't imagine there is. A God who would do so much for us is a God we can trust. It's a God we can know loves us. And it is a God that we can know will never, ever 
abandon us. The gospel gives us the power to overcome real fear in our life. And the passage of scripture that I think speaks to this more powerfully than any other passage about how the power of the gospel makes us fearless even in the face of great danger is Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do we know God's for us? Because he died on a cross for you. He gave up his life for you and for me. He's for us. There's no enemy that God has not overcome on the cross. He's overcome it all. He is for you. Then I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither anything in all creation, not your boss, not your work situation, not your terrible financial situation, not your past, not your future, not your regret, not any of your fears, nothing, none of these can hold you back from the God who loves you and has given his life for you. Through grace, we can take hold of something that can't be removed from us. There is no fear greater than these things. We've got to get our eyes off of our fears, get our eyes on Christ, on the gospel. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Paul's entire point in Romans chapter 8 is that because of what God has done on our behalf in Christ saving us not through our own works, but saving us through the work of Jesus, there is nothing ultimately that we really need to be afraid of. We can have confidence to overcome all fears through Christ. God has set his love for us in stone through his blood, and it is irrevocable. There's nothing that can change it. He will be with us in whatever situation we may face and will guard our souls for eternity. So two steps I've covered so far, right? We bring our fears, we face our fears with God's help. In fear, in prayer, sorry, we lift our eyes off of our fears. Put our eyes, our, our eyesight on Jesus. Be reminded of what is true in the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. There's one more step. There's one more step. Finally, having brought our fear to God, having recounted the goodness of God in the gospel, we are now ready to face our fears. And I have Tim Keller to share for this, a sermon that he preached on Psalm 3 years ago. David says, Lord, you are, you are a shield around me. It's like a buckler in ancient warfare. So you hold the shield. The shield, the shield can protect you from the blows of the enemy. The shield can protect you from all the arrows that the enemy shoots at you. Do you have the picture? Um, the way a shield works, though, is that it is only effective when you hold it up and you face your enemy, right? It says God is a shield. God is a shield. So when you face your enemy, you're protected. If I turn around and I run, what have I done? The shield's not going to do me any good. I've exposed my entire backside. God is not in the business of just pulling you out and removing the danger. That's not what praying your fears is about. Praying your fears is with God's help. You face your fears. God's with you. He wants to protect you, but not so that you can go run, so that you can turn tail and run. You face your fears in prayer. God comes with you to empower you so that you can keep doing the very thing that God has called you to do. And even psychologists will point out that 
when it comes to overcoming your fear, at the end of the day, if you have a phobia of some sort, if you have a fear, the only way to overcome that fear is little by little to be doing the exact same, the exact thing that you're afraid of. That's the only way. I was just talking to uh, Joyce this morning. Joyce, you gave me a sermon illustration, but you didn't, you didn't realize it. I hope it's okay that I share this. She was in a car accident, right? Driving was a little, a little frightening, but she had courage. And God gave her strength. She just drove a little at a time. She got back in the car and started doing the thing that she was afraid of. Right? You have fear of talking to people. I'm sorry. I got really bad news for you. The only way at the end of the day you're going to overcome your fear of talking with people is to start talking to people. You're afraid to go out on a date again because you've been burned too many times? I hate to say this, but God's not going to just rescue you from that. The only way that you're going to be able to have courage to overcome and start going on a date again, if that's your situation, uh, is to, you know, you have the shield, but then you do, you, know, you do what God's calling you to do. You have a fear of flying on planes? You're not going to overcome your fear just by thinking about it. You're going to overcome your fear of flying by flying. Take that short trip to Chicago. It's just an hour, nonstop. It's really doable. It's manageable. But you're not alone. God's with you. He's with you in the airplane. You bring God with you in your prayers. He's not just going to rescue you so that you can run away. You have a fear of sharing your faith with somebody. Guess what? That fear doesn't go away. I've been a pastor for 16 years. I'm still afraid of doing that, worried what people might think. So I have bad news for you. The fear doesn't go away, but I have good news for you too. It's going to be okay. And you'll get better at it the more you do it. But you got to do it. You got to do the thing. You gotta... Megan told me that, that Megan planted, when she first came to this church, there was a big banner across the back that said, just do it. So that would have been appropriate for today. Because at the end of the day, you got to just do it. You got to just do it. You got to, th- th- you know, with God, bring him in. But not only that, not only that, but in prayer, we rally God to fight for us, to fight with us. By the end of Psalm 3, David has become courageous. And it kind of reminds me when David was a little boy and he was fighting Goliath and he, he was fearless. He had that teenage fearlessness. And he's going to take on this monster. But by the end of, of Psalm 3, David's like, bring it on. I don't care. You know, tens of thousands can surround me. I'm not afraid. You know, I can, with God on my side, I can resist these, you know, God break the teeth of the wicked. And that sounds kind of violent, but it's, remember, it's poetry. When he says break the teeth of the, of the wicked, he's, he's just saying, Lord, neutralize that threat. Don't kill them. Just neutralize them. You know, Lord, fight for me. And friends, this is the incredible truth about Scripture is that God's there for you. He wants to fight for you. I know that sounds weird to say, but God's a warrior. And when we have aligned ourselves with him through faith in Christ and we're seeking the kingdom, where we have power in prayer to ask for what we need. God wants to fight for you. He wants to defend you. He wants to uphold your righteous cause. He's there for you. Rally God to your side. No, he's with you. He's fighting for you. You can overcome. You might still feel weak. You might still feel afraid. And that is normal. That is part of life. As we partner with God 
in the different area of our, of our life where he's inviting us to, to take courageous steps. It's, it's normal to, to feel fear. But what if what God wants is not for us to be fearless, but to embrace our fear and to embrace even our weakness so that in our weakness and in our fear, God can be glorified and he can get the, the honor and the glory when we who are inadequate, when we who are scared, right, step into the situations of life God calls us to, knowing that we can't do it on our own, right? knowing that we're limited and that we're overwhelmed. But you put yourself in that situation through faith, you take the bold step, and you see God glorified in and through you when he is strong in the midst of your weakness. That, my friends, it is not man's strength. It is not our boldness that brings courage to God. It is our weakness. That, sorry, that brings honor to God. It is our weakness. It is our frailty. It is our limitations. That when we bring our inadequacy, our fear, we bring it before God, we draw him into our corner, we pray, we rally God to our cause, we let him show himself to be powerful and mighty, that's where God gets the glory and not us. And he gets the highlight and not us. It's in our death that God brings new life. We see this in the New Testament. The Sanhedrin, which was the highest court of the time, in the time of Jesus, brings in Peter and, and John and, and yells at them, beats them, incarcerates them overnight, says, you should need to stop talking in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine? Peter and John, they, these guys are just fishermen. They're not trained orators. So imagine how intimidated they were when the highest court in the land brings them in and and ridicules them and yells at them and intimidates them. And, and they come back and they, they tell the early church what had happened. And the early church is terrified at the, the persecution that's about to break out against them. But it says in Acts 4 that they prayed. And when they prayed, the Spirit of God moved through the house that they were, that the house that they were in. And it shook the place boldly. And, and then it says that they ended up uh, proclaiming the gospel of God with even more boldness than they had before. See, God takes our weakness and our frailty and our, and our insecurity, and then he moves in power. Paul is another great example of this. We think of the Apostle Paul as this person who was, was so powerful and so um, confident, but that's not Paul. Apparently, Paul was short. Apparently, he was not a very pu uh, effective public speaker by the standards of that day. And this is what he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul like shaking in his boots? He's trying to, to pro proclaim the gospel. He's not a very eff effective public speaker by the standards of the day. He's a weakling. He's a coward. And yet he says, I came to you, and I, bar you know, I barely was hanging in there, I was trembling in, in my boots, and yet what happened? God moved in power. And he said, the reason this happened, the reason I was weak, but God moved in power was so that God could get the credit, and I would not get the credit. And when you put your faith and trust in God, then everybody would realize that you did not become a Christian because I was so effective in convincing you, but because the Spirit of God moved in this place and convicted your hearts and caused faith to arise in your midst. When we're weak 
And when we are vulnerable and we step out in faith and trust God, then God gets the glory. And that is, what all, uh, that is exactly what God is all about doing. God's glory is revealed in us in weakness. In prayer, we bring our fears to God. In prayer, we remind ourselves of the gospel, what is true. And then in prayer, we rally God to our cause. And God glorifies himself even in the midst, and especially, perhaps, in the midst of our weakness and our vulnerability. Rick Warren said this, Fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from, begin from becoming what God intends for you to be. You must move against it with the weapons of fear and love. The one thing I think that Rick Warren misses here is the weapon of prayer. The most powerful tool that God has given you in order to be able to overcome the fears that you have in your life. I believe today that God wants to begin to release you from whatever fear it is that you have that is holding you back from doing what God wants you to do. I have a hard time believing, like I said before, that after everything God did for us, suffering for us, dying on a cross for us, even though he was innocent, coming into this world, giving us his spirit, going to hell and back on our behalf, I have a hard time believing that after everything God has done to provide for you and me, that he wants for us, to, for even a second, to be living in fear and to be living in anxiety. That is not why he died on the cross for us. He didn't go to heaven and prepare a room for you so that you could be worried about your day-to-day -day affairs. That's not why he did all that. He did it so that you could know that your life is in his hands, that he loves you, that he's taking care of you, that he is going to provide for you, that in Christ we have all that we need. We must, in prayer, get our eyes off of the fears that are holding us back and get our eyes onto Jesus. It is through worship that we have a bigger vision of who God is and realize that when we compare the greatness of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God, compare that with these things we deal with in our lives. There's, there is no comparison. God wins by a landslide and he is our God and he's for us. Close with a quote from James Boyce. When a believer gazes too long at his enemies, the force arrayed against him seems to grow in size until it appears to be overwhelming. But when he turns his thoughts to God, God is seen in his true great stature and the enemies shrink to manageable proportions. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray now for Grace Church Grace Church is known for many things. It's a hospitable place, a welcoming place, a loving place. Lord, I pray that from this day forward, that you unleash by your Spirit's power a wave of courage within this congregation. That grace be known as a courageous place. A place where people are so rooted in their identity in you. They're so convinced of the truth of the gospel that, that the people see what you've done for them. They see what you, the, the lengths you have gone through your work on the cross for them and that there is such assurance of your love, of your grace, of your power that, that there is a courage, a courage to step into vulnerability, to step into fear, 
to step into, into insecurity, to step even into weakness and to realize, Lord, it is when we are at our worst and that we are at our most limited that you are able to move in such power to demonstrate your glory, your goodness, your love, and your victory in us, through us, and over us. God, we pray for courage to arise. Whatever fears we're facing this morning, and I would just encourage you just in the quiet of your heart, you know, what fear are you? Are you facing this morning? What fear are you wrestling with deep down? Name it before God. Put it before Him. But we're going to worship, and as we worship, may your vision of God, His greatness, His power, His love for you, overwhelm your fear. May your fear look small in comparison to the greatness of God and what he's done for us in Christ.